Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. Intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. As always, I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Megan Paterno, who you probably know as Christine Daae on Broadway in Phantom of the Opera. She was trained as a classical opera singer who initially never thought of a career on Broadway, but she has just been shot out of a cannon and hasn't stopped since. So she's began working with the legendary late producer Hal Prince, and obviously now is very good friends with Andrew Lloyd Webber. I just have to interject here that personally, she is an absolute joy to talk to. She's like, to me, just very real, very genuine, very upbeat. And it doesn't mean she doesn't come with her her own uh, mental health discussion points. We get into her own mental health, of course, as I often do in the podcast, and swapped a few stories, which I hope you enjoy. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Please visit me online at ttp.fm. Show your support for the podcast at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Wherever you're listening now, pull it out, pull out the app, leave a rating, leave a review. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Megan Paterno. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My guest today is hailed by the New York Times for her attractive soprano voice and for having total control of the stage that I put in quotes, but you can't see because this is a podcast. She is a coloratura soprano who originated the role of Christine Daae in the first national tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Love Never Dies. She played Christine again in the recent national tour of Phantom and then made her Broadway debut starring once again as the iconic leading lady in the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. Megan Pacerno, welcome to the theater podcast. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I I'm good. We were I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm good. We were just chatting chatting before we were recording about like just kind of being uh a little bit stagnant. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Hi, how are you? Such like a weird loaded question because it's like do I tell you how I'm really or it's just kind of like, yeah, we are hanging in. Today's a a decent day. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, you're down you're down in North Carolina, right? Is that home for you? Um, well, it's my parents' home, so I'm right. kind of like living high school. So, although I grew up in Chicago, but they moved to Charlotte, so I am living a weird high school-ish life lifestyle, even though this is not where I grew up. But yes, I'm in my parents' abode, not my own. My own is in New York still. <laughs> yes. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, but I heard the stat the other day that over half of young adults now live with their parents. <laughs> it, it, it's I, like over 50%. 50%, yes. Yes, I am. Me and my roomies, a.k.a. mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. Well, so you're you're keeping busy. I see online on socials all the time. You're you're posting these these um, these classes and workshops and you're also doing like private coaching and stuff, too. Is is that sort of out of necessity, out of boredom, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B? (laughs) Well, it's it's a lot of columns. I mean, obviously, there is the necessity because our entire industry is on hold, you know, I I mean, we're just unemployed. So yes, but also I really, a lot of the theater, one major part of it that I really love is I like to give back and I like to help people and also pass on, you know, our craft is a craft. And so I'm usually so busy. I don't really get to have my local studio open or do many masterclasses. And now I have time. So it's, kind of amazing to pass on the information that I've been given to aspiring actors, singers, opera singers, Broadway act, etc. And it's been really 
it's been really wonderful, actually, and fulfilling in a way that I didn't expect. Um, but also on the other side of that, there is this exchange, and I get inspired then by students in the master classes. And then also there's a whole other area, which is collaborating virtually with orchestras in Australia. Uh, right now I have a project uh, with Colombia, uh, and I have, a, I mean, all over um, Japan. I mean, it's this kind of amazing weird thing where it's like, I wish I could actually be in these physical locations, but I actually wouldn't be able to anyway, if I was currently doing my job. But now I get to sing all these different genres with all these different people, literally all around the world. So time really has no meaning anymore to me. <laughs> so it's um in that way, there's a strange silver lining in this bizarro unicorn time that's happening. So that's neat. I'll take that. That's something there. That's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think this is this is kind of a turning point because life, once we are allowed to, uh, you know, RTW return to work, um, <laughs> once we get back to RTW life, it's going to be a completely different thing. I mean, people crave that in-person experience. People crave that shared emotional journey with a room full of strangers uh, when you're watching live theater. But there's so much now being created and done in quarantine creatively. Uh, yeah, like you said, that breaks down physical barriers. That breaks. That is location agnostic, and and I, you know, if any producers are listening right there, I would love to see you know like a Broadway show that incorporates live elements that are in a different location, right? Like, why does it all have to be in New York now? That would be awesome. I'm I'm digging that idea. Uh, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. So, but but see, you're collaborating. Uh, I mean. It sounds like you're busy, right? And if you're anything like me, you keep busy because otherwise you just like if I stop, I it's really hard to get going again. So I just keep on going until I eventually am like, wow, I'm really worn out. All right, time for a nap. <laughs> I too am of the same grain. I think a lot of us in the business are. I like to keep going. In fact, that initial jolt of when we stopped. At first it was like, oh, I can drink wine now. I can have tomato sauce and I can be bad. You know, I can eat whatever I want. And then I was like, okay, so, okay, uh, life is really slow right now. What do I do? And um, I'm the same. I like to keep, but now I am busy. And it's a strange virtual busy where, like I said, time really has no meaning because all the physical, I, I like that location agnostic is true. So, you know, you'll get a constant stream of emails from people from 14 hours ahead or five hours behind. And you're just like, I don't even know what my office hours anymore. Are. <laughs> like, you're like, what is it? Is it like, I don't know. So, it, but I like, I like being busy. I kind of, um, so my dad actually got really sick back in May and I had to emergency fly down here. And that was, oh, wow. Yeah, not COVID related, but that was terrifying. And thank goodness he's okay. But it was um, it was really stressful. And I sort of hibernated actually a little bit as in like my soul, I just couldn't sing. Like at first when we shut down Broadway, I sang Phantom every single day because I was like, I'm ready when we get back in April, I'll be ready. So I, I sang the show every single day, like a good little student. And then I would sing it like sometimes. And then after my dad got really sick and I came down here, I would try to sing anything and I would just get to be very honest, really depressed because I couldn't do what I meant to do. And I was having this identity crisis and also just the one thing that I just absolutely love more than anything else, I'm, I was unable to do in a way that I wanted to. So I kind of just took a second and then something happened. Um, after taking that second, I kind of reawoke and I, I get this feeling with a lot of my friends in the business because now we're all like, Oh, you want to sing something? Yeah, let's sing something. Oh, you want to do this? Yeah, let's do this. Oh, you want to sing Disney? You want to do this? You want to sure. And it's my soul is awake again and realizes that this new bizarro virtual normal is just what it is at the moment. Whether we want to accept it or not, it is. But we do have it. And so we can still bring levity and happiness and joy and escape. Because honestly, the world right now is in turmoil. And mm -hmm. it's and I do think it's extremely important that we take time to really involve ourselves in all of the serious situations that are going on, but also 
our jobs as artists are to help people and add that escape and levity. And so that's what we're doing now in a different way. And it's kind of magical, actually. I'm awake again. And I am like, hung- literally, I-, I get like all these things in for me, which I'm also very grateful for. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that Disney song. I guess I would never probably sing that in real life. But yeah, sure, I'm in. <laughs> I'll do it. Like, it's great. There's, there's something, as you were just telling that story, you, you you said escape in two different contexts that was interesting to me. One of which was that, that it was an escape for you, like performing is an escape for you, yeah. singing. And then you're also, being back in the arts is providing that escape for, for other people and for the audience, right? So I'm trying to formulate my question here, but I guess... This sort of leads into my question, my my next chain of thought, which is, you know, what attracted you to want to start singing in the first place? And were you like you? Um, I'm just called you Christine, um, Megan. <laughs> you me- Christine for so long that I I, I sort of am Christine. <laughs> so, you, so you, Megan, are are like, did you did you need an escape? Where where? What, where did that comfort come from in starting to perform and starting to sing? You know, it's really interesting because I just, I took my, I do a daily stroll. It's part of my mental health uh, happiness uh, every day. It's very, very, very long stroll. And uh, I was just thinking that, you know, music from the very beginning, although it was not on my radar to do it as a profession, to be very honest with you. And singing was definitely not. I started off playing piano, classical piano, and I was I was something fierce. Looking back on it, I'm kind of like, mom and dad, do you know what you had? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do something with that, but that's okay. I'm too stubborn. I probably would have just resisted on principle and no. But um, I always had music in my life. And I realized, I was thinking about that today on my walk, that music has always helped me, uh, whether it's transport myself somewhere if I didn't want to be somewhere or have a lot of feels uh like many of us and um it's always been there as something that's comforted me kept me company uh it's cathartic I think that was one of the biggest uh another really big adjustment for me is suddenly I didn't have this outlet I have all these emotions uh on both sides of the spectrum a lot of people only see the shiny sparkly part of me right but Mm -hmm. to have that sparkle Uh, let me just tell you, you need extreme darkness. There are both within me. You just may not see it. And luckily for me, most of the characters that I have played, particularly in the last few years, have both qualities. So I can really dig in and cathartically release all of my darkness and my sorrow and sadness, abandonment and all of that. And then suddenly that was taken away from me because I guess you could call me, quote, a more method actor. And I did that in air quotes, whatever you want to call it. But it is true. So I go through those emotions, not go through, I live them every night. And suddenly that was taken away. And whether or not it's healthy or not, it was sort of a form of therapy for me. I mean, love never dies. I literally cried every single day for a year and a half and died on stage every single day for a year and a half. And I had no problem doing it. It was like, wow, there's just a well of crying here with no problem. But then suddenly you take that away and you're left with this tapped emotion that's just swimming on the surface. And you're like, okay, so where does that go? So I see, I digress. You have to rein me in, I tell you. You can tell I've been by myself basically all day because I'm like, oh, hi, person talking. But anyway, I digress massively. But music, needless to say, has been an outlet. So if I'm feeling sad or mad or whatever, your myriad of human emotions that I feel literally within one hour, uh, I can go play the piano or now I can sing or I'm totally I'm totally a Scorpio. Like if I'm sad, I'll like put on the sad music and be like, look out the window. That's right. I'm having a sad experience. So (laughs) I love it. You know, it's, it, it keeps me going. So, yeah. I, well, I, I let you keep going down this rabbit hole because I love, I love how, how you're explaining the catharsis of all of it. It's, it's so, it's comforting to me. And that's, you know, I used to be on stage. We were talking about that, that, that that's, that's part of what I miss. It's a, it's a form of self-expression, which I think a lot of people, uh, well, a lot of performers, a lot of people in the industry, it's it's sort of like one of two things, in my opinion. One is that they do it for themselves uh, because it's it's a form of catharsis and therapy, but they also 
the other side of it is that like they do it for themselves because it's a form of of validation and uh, and approval because you get, mm-hmm. the, you get the standing O every night or you're you know you know that because you're maintaining at a certain level that you're good or better than people that maybe gave you a hard time or com- you compared yourself against growing up mm-hmm. you know like yeah. I feel like there's some point at our, in our lives as humans as adult humans where there's part of us that have um that's emotionally frozen in, in sort of a, a defense, if that makes sense. Like there's a there's a lady, grown woman now, bullied me, not not like bad, but just like made fun of me because I wasn't one of the cool kids in high school. And then now she's my parents' vet and and back where I grew up. And and so my parents are like, isn't isn't she so nice? Like she's so awesome. And I'm like, I fucking hate her. Yeah, I hate her. She is just, you know. So as an adult, I'm like, you know, I I've made mistakes, and I want people to forgive me, but I'm still holding on to that, that like frustration and anger from when I was a kid. I mean, child, we could really have a whole another session about you know childhood trauma and things. Like that. It sticks with you, your developmental years that really stick. In fact, it's interesting that you say something about going back home because even for instance, me being back home and my parents, I have a very, I know that I'm very special relationship where like, I literally can tell them everything. It doesn't mean I do, but I can. And it's bizarre spending time at home longer than I ever have since I was literally 17. Mm-hmm. And all this, I would be just such an awful bitch sometimes. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm being mean to them. And it's like weird old things from childhood just that just gets drugged up and dragged up and you're like oh wow that's some unresolved issues so actually that there there you go that's actually one plus we're working through childhood issues <laughs> but but it's also interesting to say that too you know those formative years i think really do begin shaping a person it doesn't mean that that is going to be who you are but it sticks with you like for instance you know if people ask me what I was like in high school or something like that. And actually I was kind of like how I am now in a way, like I'm a lone wolf in the sense of like, I was in the honor society and I was a cheerleader, but I did music theater. But then I also did the, I mean, like I never, my group of friends would never be able to like quote, hang out with each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of been this person that sort of just <laughs> goes from like thing to thing, doing my own, like, you know, um, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's just, it's weird to think about actually, but it is true. I mean, I, I've never been part of like one thing. And I even think that what we do, my career also is like that. I'm not just one thing. I'm not just an opera singer. I'm not just a Broadway person. I'm not just this. I don't like to be in one little thing. So it's very strange, actually. Actually, it's very liberating, but also very weird, I guess. I don't know if it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. No, I, I think it's, I think it's, well, I think it's unusual for the majority of people, um, not unusual in a bad way. I think it's unusual um, to talk about it and to recognize it. And because a lot of people, I think, are, are just sort of unhappy in their lives and, and just sort of dredge through it. And, and that was another thing, again, that, that is attractive about theater is that you can do the same thing. You can do one profession, but you're doing different role, different locations, different people. So it's always changing, which is good in one respect because you know, like uh, the Yiddish term is spilkies, right? The, you, pin, <laughs> pins and needles. You can't sit still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's what my mom always told me. I got spilkies. Um, so I can never sit still. But but then I look back at uh, at a lot of my past and I'm, and I'm thinking like, there's only, there's a select few people, like maybe less than five that I still consider my, my old friends <laughs> because I've just never sat in one place long enough to, a, open up and B, connect with these people. And yeah. theater, because you have to be vulnerable emotionally, was kind of like a, a you know, breaking down the door to make some bonds with people. Oh, in the most intense way. I, I mean, yeah. bond, because the kind of trust you need to have with someone when you're on stage with them is it's so colossal. And you're right. You know, and it's, it's such an intense experience, depending on whatever, it doesn't matter what the project is, right? Whether you build a, a a show from the ground up or your replacement or you're on tour. I mean, there are so many different types of bonds that occur, but they are so intense. And then when they're done, the project is done, however long it is, then those bonds are gone. I mean, they'll always, you'll always have them, but they're, you have to go into the next one. It's so intense, right? right? It's, 
like a month, a month on tour is literally like two years in the regular world. It's just not the same. And, but it is fascinating because you do develop those really intense, very quickly relationships that you don't usually have with like, quote, normal people, muggles, if we'll call them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Muggles. So yeah, it's, it's very true, but that's also very attractive because you can keep, I, I don't know about you, but like, I also learn a lot about myself via others. So when you are in different situations, you're in different shows, different casts, different roles, you learn a lot about people and a lot about people around the world. But then you also learn about yourself if you're open enough to observe and you're like, oh, I guess I'm that kind of person. Huh. That's interesting. Do I like that? Do I not like that? You know, and and actually (laughs) to bring it back to the pandemic, when you stop suddenly, you have no choice but to you're, you're not, yes, I'm busy quote right now, but like you have no choice but to self-reflect. And, but like when you're going, 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 you just keep going right now, all of a sudden you're by yourself and you're looking at yourself in the mirror into your soul. And you're like, okay, there are some things we need to clean up here. And so I would say I'm in like the tunnel of pain right now. Kind of <laughs> I don't want ego work and I'll come out shinier, but holy shit. Like, Anyway, that wow. Well, <laughs> the ego work. Is, I want to touch on that. That's funny because I, I was, I was sort of gonna touch on that because you've been playing this, this uh, role of Christine Daae for a number of years now in several different productions, and it's no easy role. Like you mm-hmm. have to be good at doing it. And you have to be good in general to be able to get cast in like, you know, you and old Andy Lloyd are like on first name basis now, right? And but I mean, you see my point, like you're in a position now where you can step back and look around and be like, yeah, I, I can be considered sort of hot shit. But then this is like the COVID. This is the great equalizer right now. You know, there's a lot of people who just get called and called and called for work who are sitting and living at home with their parents. Not that living at home with your parents is a bad thing. Oh, no, no, but, but. And no, I, I see what you're saying. Well, you know, though, mm, I suppose, see, I always have this hunger and drive for more, right? I know that for some people where I'm at currently in my career, although even total wild card, if you would have told me three years ago, I'd be dancing in ballet shoes on a Broadway stage, opera singer Megan would have been like, oh, okay, sure. So like, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I have such big plans, although I couldn't tell you what. It's more of a who. People are always like, what, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I'm like, well, it's not a what, guys. It's a who. I know what kind of person I want to become and my perfectionism and this and that it's it's big it's massive it's huge so I know that I'm just at the beginning right and because I know I'm just at the beginning I suppose that actually protects quote my ego because I don't think I'm hot shit right I think more I'm confident that I have worked hard and I continue to work hard and I hustle and I sacrifice and I love what I do. I love what I do. So yes, of course the ego gets stroked here and there. You're you're right. Like the applause every night, you know, that was taken away and you're like, Oh, bye. But, but in general, I actually truly don't feel that uh, I'm caught up into that because that's dangerous. When you, when you start thinking that way, as in like, oh, I'm the best. Um, it's one thing if you're confidently like, I'm, I am very good at what I do. But you can, one, always be better. Two, you can always learn. In fact, you should be because there's a lot to learn. Uh, and once you start getting to the top of the pyramid, right, well, there's a long way to still go when you're at base camp, okay? And even if you're at the top, which I am not yet, yet. Um, you have to stay up there. That's a lot of work. You know, in grad school, I actually used to work for Renee Fleming, who's a very famous American opera singer. Uh, she was in Carousel, actually. And seeing her, she's at the top of her game. And seeing how hard she worked at the top, I think was an incredible experience for me because it just doesn't stop, you know? And again, so if you get caught up into like who you are, be a diva on stage, but mm, not off. Be confident, own it, but like, no, 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 no. 
it, that's a dangerous, slippery slope that's going to get you into huge trouble. And who wants to work with you then? No one. There's two of us that are really awesome. No one's going yeah, to yeah. <laughs> there was something I forget. I forget who said it. It was somebody that was, you know, I asked what advice they have, and they were like, "Be the person who you who people want to work with the yes. next time." Yes, exactly. Because honestly, that's why I'm at where I'm at. Quite frankly, my, the reason I'm on Broadway right now is because I was in Candide three years ago. Truly, with so, Hal Prince. With Hal Prince. Well, exactly. Who became a mentor of mine and took me under his wing and was like what do you think about Broadway? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Sure. But (laughs) you want to be someone that, you know, basic things like you're on time. You're a good colleague. When you're a leading lady, take it seriously. You are a lead, meaning you are a captain, like be a good captain. Um, Know your music. I mean, they're basic things that you would think are basic, but like not always happens. Be a good colleague. You're not going to always like everyone that you work with. This is just a reality. Okay. As much as a people person as I am, you're just not going to get along with the hundreds of people you work. So at least try to be as pro as possible, you know, and like, and deliver the goods when you are working for the, the iconic greats of music theater, you better bring it. So but own it. You know you can, so just do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so do it. Do, do it. Because they expect it, and they know you can, and they're trusting you to. So do your job. And love well, it. Well, so I, we'll, we'll get to Candide, of course. Um, uh, I guess my question then is, is you trained specifically for opera. Broadway was not on your radar at all. So I guess... So before we get to the Broadway part, <laughs> the opera part is to me not being part of the opera scene. Seeing I don't know anybody other than like yourself, pretty much, who is just like you know what I'm going to go to school for opera because that's cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do exist. I do tell you, there are some of us. <laughs> there are dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> like what? What was your influence that made you? want to pursue opera as a profession. Okay, so this is a weird thing too. I I really do beat to my own drum and I guess I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I didn't know, actually. So when I was in, and I tell this story a lot because I get asked this question a lot. And I, again, it's funny because in my, at the conservatory, everyone seemed to know that they wanted to do this from birth. And I was like, well, so I was a junior in high school in my French class went to see Romeo and Juliet by Gounod at Chicago Lyric. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? It literally was like that though. I was sitting in the audience and I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I love languages, right? And it's, I love it. And like I said, classical music and all types of music was always a part of my life. It just wasn't like, you will be a musician. It was more like, you will be a doctor. And because Believe it or not, that side of my brain was very functioning well, kind of a thing. That sentence made no sense, but it, you know, it is there. <laughs> the, the language <laughs> formation, not so hot right now. Not so hot right now, but, but yeah, math and science. I went to a college prep high school. I mean, you know, there is an intelligence somewhere hovering that perhaps is slightly dusty at the moment, but I, I didn't think music, honestly. So, but I, I remember sitting there and I was like, holy shit this is, this is amazing. First of all, they're just like, they're singing on their backs. They're singing beautiful music. What is this music? I don't even know. And then my senior year, we went to my French class again, went to another French opera, which was Carmen, which actually almost all of us know, whether we know we know it or not, but it's in like cartoons and it's in um, commercials, everything, you know it, and you just don't even know it. Um, And but this is very American, by the way, from my experience. Okay. So in Europe, Opera, at least again, as an outsider looking in, being in Europe, it's just such more, it's so accessible and part of society. You know, that was the pop music and the music theater back then. So it's not a big deal. Here, I still very do strongly feel, and it is my opinion, that, you know, it's this unaccessible high art form that's only for rich old people. And I say to you, no, it's absolutely stunning and it's gorgeous. And oh my gosh, um, See, I'm digressing again. You really have to rein me in. Anyway. No, this is fascinating to me. <laughs> so anyway, so after after the, the second opera I ever saw, when I was like, well, what is that, 17 then? I was like, well, this is pretty awesome. Maybe I'll just... So, 
Oh. Had you not had you not been singing before this? Um, well, sort of, but not like singing. I so in high school I auditioned <laughs> on a whim for the musical because I was like, oh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Because I was like, again, I was playing classical piano, and then I was like, classical piano isn't cool, so I like joined the jazz band and <laughs> was playing like jazz and stuff on the piano. And then my freshman year of high school, I auditioned into um, the music theater program, and that was they were doing Music Man. And I was cast as a freshman as Marion. Scandal, scandal, scandal. <laughs> I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But anyway, um, but again, I was part of the, the musicals were wonderful, but I was part of a college prep uh, school, right? It wasn't a performing arts school. So they did one musical a year and I was always a lead in it. And then, um, but like, again, that's all I kind of did. And then my, yeah, my senior year, I saw my second opera and then I was like, I guess I'll start taking voice lessons. You know, we'll just, we'll just start taking them. So I started taking classical lessons. Oh, and my senior year, I also auditioned for um, Allstate Theater and they were doing Pirates of Penzance. And I got the lead as Mabel. So that was my first, again, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, I, I guess we're doing this now. So that was my first time also singing something that wasn't just, quote, music theater. I mean, that's an operetta. So that's, again, like one step up singing-wise, closer to opera. And actually, those people, the leads in that cast, I still talk to. And they're amazing. Like, one is a doc, a super incredible doctor out in California. One has his own, like, sustainable straw company. They're all ballers. One's a director out in L.A. It's crazy, right? So, anyway, um, did that. And then I was at school for undergrad. And there was a guy from Ravinia Festival, which is in Chicago. It's kind of like Tanglewood. It's a big music festival. And he was like, follow your dreams and passions. And I was like, oh my God, he's talking to me. And literally, <laughs> kind of how I felt. And I was like, oh, he's talking to me. So I auditioned into the school of music and I got in. And then I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to do opera, <laughs> again, this is literally how I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, if I'm going to do opera, I'm going to go where Mozart lived. Literally, that was my thought. So I did. I, <laughs> I didn't speak a lick of German, but I was like, Vienna, here I come. So I studied at the International Europäische für Studenten and the Wiener Conservatorium, which are there are any Austrians listening? I'm so sorry about my accent at the moment, a little out of practice. And I just completely immersed myself in a way I had never been immersed before in everything. Uh, Vienna is literally the perfect like Disneyland of art and music and everything like I, I literally would walk to school from you know on Schönbrunnerstrasse and I would go through the Naschmarkt and I would see Klimt and then I'd be in the Esterringe and I would you know go to an opera at the Schneeplatz and then I would go and do this and that and so I just was like this is the best and that also really started also my intense passion for traveling who knew I had the Vandalus gene but boy do I have it and um so yeah so I fully immersed but even then I was like so opera's cool, like this is great. And like literally I would be, I was able to like hold manuscripts that Schubert wrote. And this, you know, like I would go to the Vienna Philharmonica and I would see them in rehearsal and I just couldn't get enough. I was like, oh my God. And Egon Schiele was, you know, the artist. And I was just like, oh my God, Vienna. And I, I almost stayed, truly. I, I was kind of like, I'm not coming back to the States. I'm good here. And, but I did return. And in the meantime, my parents had moved to New Jersey. Now this is key because I then rather immediately took my first trip to New York. <laughs> and much like when I was like, I'm going to be an opera singer and I'm going to go where Mozart lived. When I got off that train, I was like, okay, so no wonder I never super felt at home in Illinois. And P.S. Love Chicago. Chicago is an amazing city. But I, I truly, I remember talking to one of my teachers in Illinois and I was like, I just don't feel at home here in Illinois. And this was before I traveled. And they're like, well, maybe there's somewhere else you're supposed to be. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel at home here. And again, I didn't have like a traumatic experience. It, it just like, it never felt like I was supposed to be in Illinois. And so when I got off the train in New York, I was like, <laughs> I was like, that <laughs> and like the pulse, I literally just, the, em the empath in me was like, oh my God, do you feel this energy? It was just like, oh. and so I remember my mom and I got off the train and she had her map and I was like, you put that away. We're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't you dare. And we totally got lost. But I, I was just like, okay, so New York, yes. So then keeping on the opera thing, again, 
and it's not like my parents were in music or anything. I was completely blind, not having any idea what I'm doing. And so, but I'm bold as hell. And so, which I also would say for anyone listening that's aspiring, boldness is key. Because the worst thing that can happen is someone says no. But a lot of times people say yes or some version of yes. So <laughs> anyway, and I have no shame. So, um, so I, 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 little Megan who had was like what singing for only like a few years now <laughs> definitely not fancying myself as an opera singer yet what uh I went on the website for Juilliard Manhattan School of Music and the Metropolitan Opera and I remember I found a list of coaches and teachers and I just was like hello my name is Megan and I would like to study with you I'm from Illinois and I just graduated okay so my first ever coaching ever in New York was in the basement of the Metropolitan Opera with one of the most famous coaches. His name was Nico Castell. He's since passed, but he's, and I didn't, I didn't even understand who he was until I was in grad school. And I was like, Oh, Megan. And so, so that happened. And then my set, and he was wonderful. Like, and he very quickly, he also kind of like took me on, I don't know if it's because I'm small or something like a lot of people like to like, just kind of be like, I'm going to help you. I will help you. Um, but then my second coaching was with an incredible coach. He is the German diction coach in the world. Uh, her name's Mariana Barrett. And I had a lesson at Juilliard and then Manhattan School of Music. And when I walked into Ju- um, Manhattan School of Music, that was another like, yes, I'm going to go here. You are my squishy and you will be my squishy. And yes. So I auditioned. I got in. And, although my student loans, which I hadn't gone. Um, and Jesus, uh, it's real. Um, but yeah. And then... And then I graduated and I was like, wait a minute, what, what happened? <laughs> like, I just made this decision. I could be in med school right now. And now I'm suddenly like, I have a, a master's in opera. You know, I can speak several languages, maybe not perfectly, but I can, I can do all of this stuff. But like, what do I do now? And like, no one prepares you for that. Like, what do I do now? And here is a reality that is a sad reality, I suppose. But that time when you graduate, I think that's when you realize if you actually want to be a performer or you don't. Because for the teeny tiny itty bitty, like point percent that actually make it right out of school, congratulations. That's most not most of us. But mm-hmm. for those of us that don't, you have to love what you do because my parents aren't rich stock there. I've said it. Okay. You know, they're not poor, but they're not like they didn't mommy and daddy didn't buy me an apartment in New York. They didn't pay for my voice lessons. You know what I mean? Like I, I did that on my own, which means that I worked quite literally 60, 70 hours a week. I would study my scores at one o'clock after getting home from being a personal assistant. And then, you know, like working as a waitress and doing all of, I literally did all of that. I literally, literally had holes in my shoes because I was spending, you know, the $250 a lesson, which when you're not rich is like, oh my God, like, you know, my, my voice lessons were more expensive than my rent. You know, and in the opera world, you pay for your auditions. They're like $75 a pop. And you're like, oh, my. but I also was so determined. I was like, just because I am not wealthy, I am, I'll be damned if I can't do what I know I will be able to do somehow. But I was also open very much to like, I don't know what exactly I'm doing, but I will achieve greatness. Damn it. I was determined, determined, but it's hard because when you don't have that financial backing, right, right away, it means you're financing yourself and that can be really uh, difficult. And unfortunately, you know, some of those people I went to school with were some of the most talented people in the world, truly. And there's only like three of us that are actually doing a profession right now, but it's because people panic and you get like the nine to five job that pays you like what, 40, 50 grand, which is the most you've ever made out of school. But it's no, 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 no. That's the safe route, you know, take the risk. And like, you just have to believe that you're not sure when it's going to happen, but it's going to. And then, and then suddenly it does. And to the world, it looks like overnight success. But in reality, it's like, (laughs) you know, like, However many years of like, okay, I'm in this job now, but it's because I'm going to do something else, damn it. Like I know it. And, and, and then it clicks and then you go and that's what happened. So if you, if you hadn't, I mean, thank you for that story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, so I guess, how did you get to Candide and, and how Prince 
which yeah. then started the started the trajectory towards Broadway. But if you had not made it to Broadway, okay, so that's question number one. And then question number two is if you had not made it to Broadway, then what do you think you would be doing now mm. uh, tra- traditionally in, in the opera world? Okay, so yes, you'll have to remind me of question two because God knows I'll probably go on a tangent. Um, but question <laughs> one, well, here's another really good thing. I'm pretty open-minded. And because I don't like to be put into like one little box, even if people want to put me there, I kind of, I will backlash to that. I will immediately rebel. But I think that's actually a really huge skill slash it's, it's very important in our day and age as an artist to do that. Because if I would have been quote, a traditional opera singer, and I massively air quote this, not all, all opera singers feel this way, but it is more traditional than I would have been like, no, I'm not doing music theater. I'm only going to do opera. Well, what a shame that would have been if I would have had such a closed-minded attitude about my career because I would not be having the career I'm having. And let me tell you, it is a dream. I didn't even know I fully had, but I can tell you fully, it is definitely a dream. And I am living my best life. And so, Candide, I was singing in Spain. And I came back and, oh, this is also very typical, Megan. Uh, (laughs) I always think I'm Wonder Woman, which I usually am, but then sometimes it catches up to you and bites you in the ass. But um, can I say ass? Can I swear? I don't know. We've been swearing this whole episode. (laughs) I I usually try to like, I try to rein that in too, because I'm, I'm kind of a sailor and it's always like, check yourself, check yourself, yourself," which I can do. I can do. Anyway, so I'm. So (laughs) I had agreed to do this performance literally right off the plane from Spain uh, at this. It was like a recital thing. And I I remember I was changing into my gown. It was like a movie changing into my gown in my Uber and like warming up. And I was like, oh, Megan, you've done it again. Like you're totally jet lagged. You're like, what what were you thinking? Saying yes to this, you should cancel. You should cancel. Also, like, I guess I didn't even think about like, what if my flight would have been delayed? (laughs) That's what I was going to ask you. What if you just didn't show up on time? I don't know. But luckily, the universe was working with me that day because I literally went from the airport to the performance. And so here I am in my gown, and I'm like, this is such a mistake, Megan. What did you just do? Um, But it wasn't a mistake because I sang a few things from opera, you know, Lucia, etc. And then I sang Glitter and Be Gay. That song, P.S., has changed my life. Also, interesting segue, the first time I really ever sang that song was I was at a dinner party and Placido Domingo was there and we were all like, we were all just like having a great time and this and that. And then he's like, oh, you want to sing something? And I was like, oh my God, I've had so much champagne. Sure, let's sing. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone did, everyone did. It was like, a, it was a lovely dinner party. And I was like, oh God, I'm so drunk. <laughs> and just had my best life and his wife was like I want you to audition for Operalia this year so Operalia is like the Olympics of opera right there's there's 30 ish of us that are picked from all over the world to come and compete so I I went I was picked so that was cool too anyway side note so anyway so I come back from Spain I sing and I sing Glitter Miguel so my pianist Michael uh was like you know uh well you've been singing in Spain this whole month you the new New York City Opera has been looking for their leading lady in Candide. Kunagunda is the name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Michael, I just fired my agent in France. What am I supposed to do? Oh my God. Well, luckily, here's another little tip for those listening. So having a team of people is extremely important. And a team of people who believe in you, who will challenge you, who will ground you, who will criticize you in a way that you understand that's that's positive, but also like you need to hear it. You don't want just yes people, right? So anyway, luckily for me, um, I have an incredible team of people and um, they're very highly connected, but they're just amazing people. You know, I, the universe sent them to me when I was ready and I just, they're my fairy godmothers. They're, they're just the most incredible people. So anyway, so they, they know the head of New York City Opera and they email, also his name is Michael. And they're like, Michael, you got to hear this girl sing Candide. And so on a lunch break, I went in and sang for Michael Capasso. Michael, I love you. And I was just being my normal, like, self. And again, I like, here's another fascinating thing. I look around and I'm like, okay, so I'm the, the tiniest person here by like a foot. And I'm the only brunette. And oh, yes. I mean, because here I am like rather fresh out of school-ish. And I'm like, oh, there there's a lot of like rather well-established opera people here. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. It's fine. So I sang and I didn't think anything of it as they're eating their lunch. 
And then I got a call back. And P.S., the audition process for opera and music theater, I won't get into it, but like very different animals, very different animals. And <laughs> so I got a call back. Like in the opera world, there's usually like only a few people in your audition. And you stay in your little soprano cove by the piano and blah, blah, blah. And so for my callback, it was in this, it was at the Domena Center. It was this huge orchestra room. And <laughs> there's like 15 people in my audition. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? This is weird. And I didn't recognize anyone because again, like I'm not from the music world. Like, yes, I'm like learning about opera, but like I was still a baby, baby, like still learning. Like, it's not like I knew from age five. Like I, I was still learning everything, let alone Broadway people. I had no clue. And so I'm in there and I started doing my thing. Blah, blah, blah. And, and also, by the way, this is also important. I, so many coaches wanted me to sing it like everybody else. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to sing it my way. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. And so I'm singing it. And as I'm singing, this older gentleman who's literally like way down, like a block away, he's like, honey, can you come closer? And I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm like, come closer. And then like, before you know it, I'm basically like, I could touch them. Like they were right there. And I was like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable. Cause like, yikes, like, wow, is this how they do it in the music theater world? This is bizarre. Anyway, so I'm like really close to them. I'm singing. So then I'm singing. This gentleman is like shouting across the table to the other 15. Well, she's fabulous, isn't she? She's great. She's great. And like in my mind, I'm like, well, this is amazing. I'm having a cheerleader here during my audition. But also this is very, very distracting. Like, oh, my God. So I finish. I sing, I talk to them, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, that man was Hal Prince. And <laughs> I was good that I didn't know who he was <laughs> at the time. And so then like a month later, I got an email saying like, we'd like to cast you. And I was like, great. And so that changed my life because so Candide was in January, like three years ago. And I was supposed to be going to France actually to sing opera. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. There's something about this that's amazing. And boy, I'm glad I did that. Always trust your gut. This is also good advice. So anyway, so here we are. And it, I felt like we were in like Harry Potter. It was like the Broadway people, the ballet people, the opera singers. And like we all came together in our houses and we were all kind of in awe of each other. But that singular production absolutely changed my life and my career. And so, I mean, I'm working with, you know, like, Linda Lavin, Chip Zine, Greg Edelman, Jay Armstrong Johnson. And I was learning so much from them. Also, just Hal and Pat Birch. Pat Birch now is one of my fairy godmothers, you know? And I'm learning super fast on the fly about everything. And like, because they ran it more like music theater than Broadway. And I, I remember when we got the schedule from the opera standpoint, my agents and I were like, surely this is not right. I mean, this says that you have tech week. And then you have an orchestra rehearsal and then you have a dress rehearsal that's open dress on the same day as your opening night and a five show weekend. Cause that does not happen in the opera world. And then <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, what? And so, yeah, so I had my first two show day. Well, my first five show weekend ever singing Kunagunda. And that itself was amazing. But again, that changed my life. And from there kind of the rest is history because well, we could keep talking about that, but like that singular success and it was a huge success on all accounts mm. um it it changed my trajectory and everything but if I would have been stalwart and would have been stubborn saying like well now that I'm done with Candide I'm going back to France but I just couldn't because then in the middle of that Hal was like hey kiddo have you ever seen Phantom and I was like no <laughs> <laughs> that seems like another it seems like another one of those that that you that I guess an opera singer, I, I guess it's not traditional opera, right? But um, I, it's the longest running show on Broadway. So it's like that and Chicago and Cats and some mm -hmm. others that if you're in musical, it, if you know the musical theater canon, then you just, it's one of those things you have to have seen in your life because there's a million and a half touring productions of it if you're not you know, here in New York. But anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay, okay, so I'll keep going. You just bring me, when you're done, you're done, okay? You just tell me, because I'll just keep going. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I saw the movie, right? And like, everybody kind of knows of Phantom, if not knows it, you're right. I, I think I'm in the minority that didn't, I didn't grow up on it. But again, I wasn't in a music theater household, okay? Like, I didn't grow up on musicals. I, I, so, um, so I was like, oh, how I have not 
seen it. And he's like, all right, we're going to change that. He's like, you want tickets? I'll get you my tickets. And I was like, okay. So I sat in his box. It was a Saturday night. I saw Ali Ewald, I remember. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of epic. <laughs> I was like, and I remember like when the, I still get this feeling even in the show now when that the overture starts and it's, and and the, the chandelier goes up. I remember just sitting there like, I think I audibly was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is so cool. Because again, you know, actually Andrew Lloyd Webber's music is so totally my personality in the sense of it's such a combo of things. I was like, oh my God, this is classical music and rock in one. I was like, I'm in heaven because also like, I'm not your typical quote ingenue. I mean, people make fun of me because they'll go by my dressing room and like, God knows what's playing. It could be Black Sabbath. It could be like Muse. It could be Rachmaninoff. It could be like, who the hell knows? Right. But it's like, I like, you know, like I like, I love like hardcore. I almost swore again. Anyway. So I'm like, Oh my God, it's both. And then the operas within the actual show, I thought were hilarious because I'm like, well, it's not totally wrong. That's kind of what Mozart's like. Or like, <laughs> uh, it was, I love, I loved it. And I remember there was a huge standing ovation. And this is after 31 years of it being on Broadway. And I was like, I have never seen this in opera. I literally had no idea what that was like. And I was like, this, what a phenomenon this is. And so then after I saw that, Hal was like, <laughs> You know, he's calling me cat pal or kiddo. And he would be like, well, pal. He's like, look, there's a new old show coming to America. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he was like, it's a sequel to Phantom. It's called Love Never Dies. He's like, watch the movie. See what you think. I think that you should sing for this. And I was like, okay. So I saw it and I was like, oh, what is this? I was like, because the music is stunning. It's, it's, it's very classical, actually. Um, it's, it's absolutely beautiful and Andrew himself has even said it's one of the best scores he's ever written and wow I agree it's it's absolutely beautiful and Christine is her uh, an older version so there's a, a strength to her that I was very attracted to so I um this is baby's first like audition that way and so I went in and oh that's the other thing too I remember <laughs> they gave me this packet Packet of music. This does not happen in the opera world. In the opera world, you have been studying your arias in French, German, Italian, English for like a year and you're perfecting them and you know them and everything. <laughs> it's like, get this packet of music and they're like, can you learn that by tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, well, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's not. And I, I remember even telling my agents, I was like, I mean, they know it's not going to be perfect, right? Like, I just got music. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. And then I was like, and I'm going to have to hold it. And they're like, yeah, they're expecting that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> So anyway, so I've got the music, I'm in there and I sang for Tara Rubin, which by the way, shout out to all of them because they made my life so wonderful. They were so warm and like lovely. And then my audition experience for Love Never Dies was very also unique because I know a lot of my castmates literally had gone through anywhere from like eight to 11 auditions because Andrew Lloyd Webber and Rug and Tara Rubin, they wanted to present Love Never Dies for the first time with the perfect cast. And boy, do I think they got it right because wow, the, our, our cast was just mind blowing. And, and again, you know, I mean, they, they said they were like, well, you know, if they, they, they first originally did it in London and they, they took it, they rewrote it. And now we're doing the Australian version and it's absolutely nothing like the London version. And so we did the Australian version. And so, <clears throat> so here I am, I sing for Tara Rubin, but for me, my next audition then was for Andrew Lloyd Webber himself. Now, of course, I knew who Andrew Lloyd Webber was. So that wasn't like when I went in for Candide and I was like, who is everybody? Um, but again, like I didn't know anything except Love Never Dies. So I didn't know what to expect. I got in and I sang Love Never Dies, the actual title song. And then we went through other stuff. And I remember he like jumped up from his seat immediately. And he's so awesome, by the way. He is seriously a cool dude. And he's obviously brilliant. He's an absolute genius. Uh, and he's really funny actually. And, and so like he started working and my audition ended up being a coaching basically. It was like wow. minutes to an hour and we were just like nuancing things. And then I remember at one point he was like, do you have anything from the other one? Meaning Phantom. And I was like, Ooh, Maestro. No, I am so sorry. I don't, um, yet. <laughs> so, so then, so we went through everything and then the turn is quick, the quickest turnaround in my life for an audition. Three hours later, I was cast as Christine in his show. And when Andrew went, he knows what he wants. And so, um, and that was really cool because then I had 
I had lunch with him actually, uh, like a month later and he was so amazing and open because like for me, again, coming from the opera world, I was just like, Oh my God, a living composer. I'm so excited. And it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Who's like the composer of our time. Like, so I had like a stack of questions and I was like, okay, so Andrew, I'm looking at the score here and I see this pickup note here and here you do this. Why did you do this? And I was just like, and luckily God bless. (laughs) He was so open to just talking about everything um, about the show. And so, yeah, so then we opened and he was there for rehearsal which was also amazing to work with him directly. And the original uh, Australian production staff was there too, directing and everything. And, um, and then we just, we went. And then like six months into Love Never Dies, um, uh, Kristen Blodgett, who also is one of my fairy godmothers, uh, incredible conductor and music director. Um, she was like, hey, so there's going to be a revival and a brand spanking new version of the world tour it's the new york version that's going to be going out right after love it never dies closes would you would you like to do it we thought it would be a great idea and i was like sounds great <laughs> and then the, and then you would transfer to broadway and i was like mm. sounds great <laughs> so it so it was already it was already known that you were going to transfer to broadway from that point well for me i had to be quiet for a long time like i couldn't say that i was going for a long time i couldn't even tell my castmates on the world tour either so wow so I, I was sitting on this information dying. In fact, even like towards the end of the world, well, my time on the world tour, um, I remember it was like, I only had like a month left and I was like, oh my God, are they going to announce that I'm going to Broadway? Like, like it kind of, people were kind of assuming like, well, why would she be leaving after Tolerate? But like, I was like, what can I tell people? I was like, I've been waiting for like two years. <laughs> like, so, um, but yeah, then they finally announced it, but yeah, talk about like a whirlwind. And and also what's really special is, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber himself, his music, the entire, and this was, oh, this was so cool too. You know, on the world tour, the New York staff came out to set it, which means, and a lot of those people were house people that I had met on Candide. So it's all this huge family, basically. And, and also I got to build Phantom from the ground up. How many of us can say we did that and got to premiere it in countries that had never seen it live before. That was awesome. And then to make my debut with the very people that introduced me to this new side of my career and the music that introduced me to this new side of my, I mean, like it's so fortuitous and so beautiful. I was a mess on my Broadway debut, like just weeping. And like, I had a hundred people in the audience that were just so excited for me from the opera world and the Broadway world and this and that, because I was just like, this is so unexpected and magical. And again, it's, Andrew's music has taken me literally all over the world. Same with Hal. I mean, so they changed my life. And this this show has changed my life. And quite frankly, here I am, um, picked by Hal to be in Phantom, and COVID hit us. And now we're going to still be in another historic part of Phantom, which is for the first time ever in our history at Phantom, we're going to restart and reopen as if it's an opening night again. That's never happened, and hopefully will never happen again. But I mean... So I got to Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. the longest running show on Broadway, and it deserves to be, mind you. These people that I work with on stage, I'm in awe of constantly. They're amazing. And some of them have been there longer than I've been bored. And like, but that being said, for the first time ever now, we are going to go back into rehearsal when it's time, and then we will reopen as if it's an opening night. This is historic. And yet again, here I am, part of this family with a historic part of history and I'm like oh my god this just can't this is meant to be because what a what an experience I'm dreaming of that day by the way I can't wait <laughs> that is so cool I didn't I didn't yeah. even like I've, I've talked to so many people in the pandemic and you're the only person so far that's like had, sort of had the wherewithal like th- there were the six queens who you know Broadway shut down on their opening oh night so they never god. they never got their opening but yeah, for for these shows that have been around forever, like Hamilton's going to have another opening night. Dervin Hansen's going to have another opening night. Wicked, yeah, like Wicked. All these shows. Oh my gosh, yeah, that they're going to have to stagger the shit out of that. Well, think and think about that too. You know, so being on Broadway, that was my first time I ever replaced. Right. So, well, now we're all going. We are going to basically build the show again together, which has never happened on Phantom Broadway except thirty-two years ago. 33 years. You know what I mean? Like this is the first time that's going to happen again. And also think about that. We had our passions 
And you don't take for granted that you're on Broadway, but perhaps you do cut, like it is a job, but well, now it's very apparent what was taken away from us. Can I tell you what that first rehearsal is going to be like? Can I tell you what that first performance is going to be like? There is literally going to be nothing like it ever again, ever again, yeah. because the magic, the emotion, the, uh, we're going to be a mess. I mean, like we saw each other all on zoom last week and literally I was like, ah. <laughs> like, you know, like we're a family. You're right. These, we are going to have opening nights across the board on Broadway for the first time ever again in history. Like this is, this is massive. This is epic. Wow. Yeah. So even though like, wow, be like as soon as possible when it hits and it will, cause we are, we are resilient. And although I'm like killing myself right now, like, ah, let it be when it happens and it will, uh, it is going to be epic. Like, Oh my God. Oh, I totally, I totally agree with you. And wow. I, I cannot wait for that. And I, I think it's going to have to come back staggered, of course. We've got to wait for tourism to come back, restaurants to open up. And so there's got to be like a draw before everything comes back. But um, to my original, the the last original question, which was what would you be doing? What would you be doing if you weren't, if you hadn't done the path for Hal Prince? Where do you think life would have taken you in the air quote traditional opera world? Well, I would have been in France and I would have started a European career because that's what I was going to do. And, but, you know, ironically, I kind of did that too, because the universe, when it works, when you work hard, it is going to work with you. You know what I mean? You can't force things, but you can work really hard and things that are meant to be are going to come to you. It's, it's really true. And I have to keep telling myself that even right now during this pandemic, but like any break on love never dies, I had the very good fortune. And I'm telling you, that's why I'm saying like, Oh my God, this was totally universe driven. I made my debut at the Opera House in Barcelona. I made my debut with San Francisco Symphony. So actually, crazily enough, even though I'm living mostly in the Broadway train right now, I'm still popping over and doing these massive debuts that I that were part of my plan uh, as an opera singer. It just might not be singing exactly what I thought I was going to be singing. Like maybe I'd be singing Queen of the Night or The Doll from Count of Men or something. But I mean, this is the other fun thing, interesting thing is... I think some people don't know like what my voice can fully do. In fact, it's doing different things now, which is extremely exciting. Um, but I'm a coloratura, which means I live like, like way up there usually. Uh, so it's always funny when you have a fan that's like, she's a mezzo. And I'm like, honey, please. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. But uh, no, I'm not. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you what I'd be doing because obviously I wasn't meant to. Um, but it's not to say that I won't. So yeah, I probably in Europe. I don't know. I don't know. I, you're, yeah. You're one of those people that, like you said, keeping open, keeping an open mind and somebody that people want to come back and continue to work with that. You're going to have opportunities constantly presented to you that many people won't just because of, of sheer attitude, but then drive. And then now you've sort of got, you've got the fan base and the professional contacts to have the professional clout as well. So like, yeah, like the, I'm sure that the circle of friends between Hal Prince and Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, you know, Hal Prince when he was around, right? Um, that circle continues to know you. That circle will continue to reach out. And it is an international circle of people oh. who will continue to recognize the talent. Yes, I, I think, well, and, and hard work. Like you have to deliver the goods, you know? So yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, let's wrap up here with the three standard questions that I ask everybody on the podcast. The All first right. one, very simply, is just what motivates you? Passion. Second one, then. All right. Good. Second one, then, is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, boys are not that important. <laughs> you know, when you were, there was something you said earlier about about moving on and I forget what you said and I almost asked you if that translated into personal relationships and I, I let it go but obviously <laughs> it, it did <laughs> oh my kryptonite <laughs> <laughs> but truly listen to Michelle Obama they are not as important as you think guys seriously and I don't mean just boys but like the right person is going to come into your life when when it's right and you don't have to give all of your, do you, who do you? 
You do you. Okay, last question is then if you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Is it uh, uh, anything? Anything. Anything. These questions, this kind of question always stresses me out. Um, I, oh, why can I never know? Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Last time I panicked and said Family Guy, and that's a total lie. Um, one show my whole life? I wouldn't though. Um, like you crash land on an island and you have a, a DVD of one show with you. And then somehow electricity to watch that to watch that DVD. Um, oh, I don't know. A Shit's Creek is pretty good. We'll say that this time. <laughs> and I hope nobody catches that I said desert island instead of deserted island. But yeah. <laughs> I guess you could have a so desert island. It's, it's, you know. Whatever, whatever. Okay. Um, so if we want to get in touch with you to uh, to get coaching, to get teaching masterclasses, all that, how can, how can we find you? Oh, go to my Instagram at Megan Paterno and I have a little link tree and you can just, all the things are there. That's it. All of the, okay. So then Megan Paterno on Instagram. Are you on Twitter, Facebook, not anything Twitter. else? Uh, yeah, Facebook, but not, I'm, I'm not really active there. So Instagram, or you can go to my website, but honestly, Instagram, go to Instagram. All right. And you can get uh, my website, thetheaterpodcast.com. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review wherever you are listening to this now. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Megan, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I also love your star background, well, light background. No one can thank see you. it, but I can, and I'm very excited about it. So I built that. That was quarantine boredom. Stop. <laughs> It's a good addition. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.